Hi, Dimitrios. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure no, my, to be here. Yeah, my, the pleasure is mine. Uh, thank you so much. So where are you joining us from? Which country of Europe or the world? The world? Now I am calling you from Switzerland, from the community Schloss Klarisek. Switzerland. Wow, amazing. So, um, yeah, would you like to start by telling us a bit about yourself, your travels and your work? Anything, you know, you want to begin with? Sure, I would love to. So my name is uh, Teodora Demetraratulescu. I actually come from Romania. And since 2014, I have been connected with the Global Eco-Village Movement, the Permaculture Movement and the Transition Town Movement. And in 2017, I decided to start my digital nomad um, journey. And um, I have been part and visited and took trainings in over 40 community eco-village projects um, around Europe. And uh, now I'm based in Switzerland. And my main work is um, as a space holder for deep transition. I'm a collaborative facilitator for NGOs and small organizations. And I'm also a Dragon Dreaming trainer, which I very much enjoy. Wow, that's a, an impressive journey, you know, and I have so many questions uh, about your digital nomad journey, but also the approaches and the titles, you know, you use to describe yourself and your work. So what would you like to talk a bit and start unpacking a bit more? Um, yeah, th these are all interesting, you know, um, concepts and uh, and work. And I feel like they are portals to a whole ecosystem, you know. So which ecosystem yeah. would you like to unpack first? Or which one is closer to your heart, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> Hard to choose? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Well, they're all part of my heart, right? <laughs> of course. Multipotentialite. That's the term I've, I've come across recently for people who have many diverse experiences and skills, you know, and talents, polymaths. Exactly. Exactly. More broad, broad learning and deep experiences rather than, than deep learning. Um, I'm happy to start with the beginning of my journey. Maybe this could uh, interest the viewers. Of course. Our yeah. Hello? Yes. Yes, um, yes. It does sound great because I feel like it's important for people to understand more like your why, you know, and uh, what is the journey? Like we'll talk about these approaches and, you know, the work that you do, but also why, like how, how were you shaped by the actual um, calling you had, you know, to embark on these different explorations? Right, exactly, because you become the journey. It's not anymore like... The hero's journey you know you're going to discover something and that something is actually yourself in in this whole wow. movement of life i like this approach yeah. i've never thought of that i always saw the hero journey as a concept you know in sense making but becoming the journey is a whole different uh, terrain you know <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's my experience so <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell me tell us about uh, your experience i'm sure a lot of people are hooked you know already yeah, well, hmm, where to start? Um, I, I can start by saying I was very much, everything came to me from food. I was very much interested in food, how we grow food, where does food come from? 
um, in Romania, in East Europe, where where I come from, we don't have such a supermarket culture. We we have um, daily markets where people from the countryside come and sell their products, and it it just started. It, it didn't make sense to me anymore um, why more and more westernized corporations and institutions are starting to appear in our, let's say, small and traditional country. Mm-hmm. And I was very, very much interested in food. So actually, that was the catalyzer and the spark that got me to all of this. And I did not expect it at all. Um because I wanted to see what is what is the food system and um, how much damage does that do to our planet. So I did some research on a systemic level and then I understood that everything is like the climate narrative is um, not only connected to CO2 or to water or to pollution or to pesticides, but it's everything interconnected and everything comes together. Yes. And when I've realized that, that we live on a on a complex and holistic intelligent planet um i just knew i have i have to start traveling and i have to start um meeting people that are making change on a grassroots level that are putting their hands on the earth um and and building something new looking that our current systems are failing us and what are the new systems that can support us and life itself. So, yeah, I started my journey. And um, in my journey, (laughs) um, I've discovered the social aspect that what Mm. keep, mm, let's say what keeps ecology and economy and the worldview um, aspect together is, is the social. It's the community building. It's mm-hmm. our capacity to to trust, to listen to each other, to make decisions together, <clears throat> to resolve conflict, um, and to get organized in yeah in a society that well I don't want to say that society is to blame, but we kind of keep ourselves separated, right? When I used to live in the city, I did not know who my neighbors are. I had mm-hmm. no idea. You don't say hello to people on the street, so. Who are these people? What's their life about? We all live together on this huge planet and I want to get to know them. So this curiosity started deepening and deepening. And yeah, I've just realized we're so alienated and isolated from each other on a deep level, on on a level of heart and soul and mind. And that felt to me like such a waste of human potential. How can we be so, so separate, but still sharing so much? of this planet. Yes, the great disconnect, right? Exactly, the story of separation. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I guess yeah. I want to sorry, interject a quick question there or, or you know, a comment. Um, when I look at, uh, you know, when we look in the global narratives or media narratives about climate change, you know, addressing poverty, disadvantage, food inequalities, mm-hmm. I feel like there is a big narrative on uh, solutions coming from like top-down expertise from technological innovation from right. research evidence base which is all true you know but nobody talks i mean people talk in my circle you know and my ecosystem about uh, social technology and community development and social capital but this is not the mainstream narrative do you resonate with that have you also discovered that that it's not you know the main narrative even though it's so important it's like a huge blind spot maybe 
Definitely, <clears throat> definitely, a hundred percent, even more. Um, for me, there are three main narratives that are going to get us out of climate change that the mainstream is kind of providing, right? So one is technology is going to save us. When we're going to hit the pinpoint of fossil fuels, um, because all our current culture is dependent on fossil fuels, and that is a limited resource. Um, when we will reach that point, there are three narratives, right? And one is that technology is going to save us. We're going to go to Mars and colonialize mm -hmm. another planet and human species are still going to survive, right? Yes. The space narrative, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's find another planet to destroy it. Yeah. <laughs> Colonize. <laughs> Exactly. Something like uh, like. And what are the other two narratives? The other two narratives is complete collapse. We uh, we're so alienated from ourselves, from nature, from community itself. Um, we're too used to our AirPods and Nikes that we don't know how to hunt and grow food anymore, or uh, manage weather, or our survival skills are so low. It's going to mm. be crisis and collapse, right? Okay, and the doom, doom and gloom narrative, right? Exactly, exactly. Like the end of the world is inevitable, you know? It, exactly, and there's nothing we can do about it and better surrender because anyway, it's it's like this um, Hollywood uh, dystopian movie of... Yes, dystopian. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was having, sorry, I'm laughing because I was having a conversation with a young person about dystopias and it's an interesting thing that keeps coming up, maybe on the theme of COVID as well. But anyway, sorry, and the third narrative? I mean, it's a narrative that's being fed. Um, if you look at most of our Hollywood movies today, if you open Netflix, please count how many movies are dystopic and they include fires or floods or a pandemic destroying society and then we have to survive it. And how many actually envision a greener future mm. in which we all collaborate and co-create and build the things that we want to see around. Like we become co-creators of our own world. Mm -hmm. you, don't, yeah. you don't see so much, right? <laughs> I think this is the less uh, popular or talked about narrative, you know, the fact that maybe there is hope in working together, looking into ourselves and our connection with ourselves, it's other in the environment, something that the U-Lab also, U-Theory, you know, talks about. But anyway, I don't want to introduce another concept. So you realize that, Theodora, and, uh, you know, you do your research, you go around, you learn things, and what happens next? Yes. Hero Heroine. That, so the third narrative that I, I wanted to bring in. Um, mm -hmm. So the third narrative is, yes, we're going to have a bump in the road. Definitely, we need to start adapting, building resilience and communities around us when difficulties are going to happen. And we are seeing this in the world. So um, a big question in the climate narrative is, are we fast enough to catch and stop this train that is heading towards a wall? Or do we need to start creating cultures and systems of adaptation and resilience to what will happen? Because the question is not if, but the question is when. Um, so th this third narrative says, yes, we're going to have a bump in the road. We're going to need to learn new skills and new talents. Um, that are much more connected to ourselves. This is not a, a hierarchy or or an authority like school or an institution telling us what we need to do or what we need to learn. It's actually tapping in to your own intelligence and the collective intelligence, trusting in our human species that we can manage together to go through this. 
and only together we can go through the eye of the needle and not separate. Um, and you see this in, in times of struggle and in times of, uh, of despair for people when there's, when there's a lot of grief or when yeah. a, a catastrophe happens. Yes, um, people come together because we share the same pain. When, when I look at you and you look at me, the lines of separation become blurry because both of us, we recognize that we feel the same pain or the same joy. And it doesn't yeah. matter anymore if you're a director of a company and I'm just a traveler because we unite in our human essence in the face of catastrophe. Yes. So, yeah. It all, it all sounds very poetic and get truthful to me you know and, and i'm taking i'm playing a bit the devil's advocate to make this podcast even more interesting <laughs> i totally yeah. resonate with you and i agree in everything and we had a pre-interview talking about these things so but what makes you believe that uh, this like uh, more utopian you know view and in my in my understanding realistic looking in what we have and how we can live together and create those transitional communities is better off or co can complement the existing narratives of technology will save us or we need to discover new colonies and territories and you know going to space um how do you see do they interrelate these narratives is it one or the other or is it an integration with a more understanding and awareness of you know what's the most integral integrated you know way to move forward sorry mm -hmm. i don't know if this question makes sense i just you no, know completely it, it does make sense <laughs> yeah I like for the listeners that we can also go in concrete examples of what this means. Yes, um, that would be great. Yeah, and I know you have a lot, and I have. To, <laughs> so it's interesting to talk about that. But I'm also like I enjoy the conversation in terms of the theory of change and the right. mindset because I feel like unless you are curious to explore different things, no real innovation can happen, right? Then we go back to like the coping ways we are doing things, you know, like or counting, putting all our hopes in. In, in the hands of others or the government or I don't know what. Exactly. So like just to, to say to start going on your own hero's journey, you need a driver. You need something that motivates you so strongly that you say, yes, I want to create social innovation or I want to build projects that respond to climate change or anything. So definitely you need a driver to start. <laughs> yes. Um, like a realization, like a strong calling, you know, identifying an issue, a burning issue for you and valuing you that push you forward to go to the unknown and explore and research those things, right? And experiment with communities and people. And Completely, completely, 100%. And you've asked me, why do I believe so much in the power of community? And it's because I've seen it. Okay. What have yeah. you seen? Where? <laughs> Tell us everything. <laughs> I'm like a treasure hunter, you know, looking for those evidence because I see them in my community, in my work here, you know, in Australia and some global work. But I feel like the more we share that, the more we can influence the narrative, right? Yes, definitely. So give me the facts. <laughs> <laughs> the data. The data, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just joking, yeah, but yeah. Tell me what, <laughs> what did you find out in your hero's journey? Um, well, I, yeah, I think something that can bridge this very well is that mm, we need a heart, head, hands solution. Mm -hmm. No, so we need to use data and facts and everything from our logical and rational brain 
but then also our capacity of compassion and empathy and deep listening in our hearts combined with like the strength of the power of the practical of our hands needs to come together for whatever we decide to do Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I have never traveled outside of Europe, but I have done all the corners of Europe. So I started in Romania and went to the center, went to every mm-hmm. <laughs> um, all the corners from Canary Islands, Spain to the north of Scotland, where I've been Horn, to Estonia, where I've been in Lileoru and down to Istanbul, and then again in a spiral. So I've moved a lot around um, around eco-villages in, um, in Europe. And mm-hmm. um, I can just name a few. Did you, like, did you physically move or digitally, you, you said, or both? No, physically. No, physically. Yes, yes, physically. Did, physically? Yes. You went there in person, okay. Yes, I went there in person because I wanted to see... Um, Examples with yeah. on eyes and examples of human sanity. I felt like we're all going so so insane on Black Friday fighting for a television. And I just wanted to see <laughs> how how people um, live in the countryside together, but not be bored or how can I say uh, constructed by the same rules of society and culture, but creating something new. So yes. for example, if you um, if you go to Finhorn, no, they're um, they. 80% of their um, um, electricity comes from green resources. Um, they grow most of their food. Um, they have, mostly all communities have workshops and intensive weeks in which you can go and learn from them because different eco-villages and communities have different focuses. So even though the name eco-village eco is part of it not all eco villages are a hundred percent ecological but they're mm-hmm. striving to go there and if you're interested in data and facts you can go to gen-europe.org that's the global okay. eco village network of europe website where mm-hmm. an impact assessment tool has been created on more i think more than a thousand two hundred um eco projects in europe to see what is actually their impact in terms of climate change? Yeah, like reducing CO2 as a collective. Yeah, there is a huge uh, body of research and uh, evidence and data, right? And practical experience from, from this type of movement, you know, that uh, we keep hearing about, but I think like you took a deep dive. So it's so interesting because it comes, it, it all comes together with other things we know and we do, you know, the yeah. Global Eco Village uh, movement. Okay, tell me more. <laughs> more. <laughs> yeah, so more, I mean, most communities in my experience, and I'm also an eco-village design education trainer, which is a four-week course where you can learn about how to create eco-villages in your region. And you can do that online or also in person in Switzerland, in the place that I live. Um, usually these projects are organized in four directions, social, economic, ecologic, and worldview, so cultural. Mm-hmm. And in each of these quadrants, we look at what are the alternatives and the practical solutions that can respond to our challenges. So in the social aspect, we have decision-making, sociocracy as a tool, yes. conflict resolution, 
um, our capacities to listen, so communication, maybe it's nonviolent communication or deep listening, or we do conflict transformation, um, and many, many others. For example, there are tools like Scott Peck community building or Forum invented in, in Tech and very much used in Tamera. Um, but if we move to the ecologic, most mm -hmm. of uh, communities use permaculture as a model, biodynamic yep. farming or syntropic farming. Um, most eco-villages and communities want to grow their own food, even though they are in an urban setting or in mm -hmm. the country. Most of them have um, the common point of growing their own food because growing food means building on resilience, growing the humus layer of the soil and also restoring biodiversity in the place that you live. So that's very, very And other things like water management systems, um, catching and storing uh, energy through el electricity, solar panels or windmills or hydro, using compost toilets, so the use of water, mm -hmm. and, and so on and so on. Um, if we would jump to the economic, um, yep. yeah. Uh, a great model would be uh, economy of the common good or yeah. gift economy, started mm -hmm. also by Charles Eisenstein. Um, and there are also many different economic models that every community decides to use together. You can see community as a learning field and a playground in which you are invited to co-create together with your friends and to decide, okay, we, we all have this money. What do we want to do with it? Do we mm -hmm. want to... All together on a pot and then fight about it does everybody keep their own resources how do we do it and actually that's how it all started it really started from people coming together and thinking how are we going to do this and the global eco-village movement started in 1995 but there are older eco-villages in the world than that so finhorn is around 25 years there's Auroville for more than 30 something years. So we can say that the first settlements started around in the 70s, but really caught up together with the media in the 90s and then 2000s. Mm -hmm. and, now, and now it's a booming sector because also with the pandemic, people realize our mm. our ways that we have been used to, you know, having a nine to five job, um, our capacity of consumption, the way that we relate to each other, how do we look at money and ecology, it just doesn't work. It's not fulfilling on a personal level and it's not nourishing on a collective level. And that's where the fourth quadrant of communities comes in the worldview. So mm -hmm. what is the culture that we want to create between us? What are the relationships that we want to have? No, you come from Greece and I come from Romania. Do we want to eat moussaka together or do we want to uh, dance something together? Or maybe we even create our own rituals. And that can be we play ping pong and have brunch every Sunday as a community. Or maybe we do a full moon equinox ritual. Mm -hmm. um, maybe we pray to the land and we say, I'm sorry mother nature for everything that I've done to you as a representative of the human race. Um, so whatever it is that brings you together and creates spiritual and emotional connection, that is the culture that you want to build, right? Um, and this also 
comes with, I, I dare say it, intimacy and relationships. So, of course, yeah. healthy intimacy and deep relationships, right? Exactly, like connected with healthy boundaries, healthy, clear, transparent, and honest communication. Um, yeah, and basically mediation between all of us. Um, so how do we deal with families, with children? How do we want to grow our own kids? How do we want to live intimacy and sensuality? Is it polyamorous or monogamous or maybe completely open or even celibate? Um, and what is allowed or not? Because what I want to talk a little about, uh, a little bit mm -hmm. about, is um, this stigma of cult and the fears that people may have when when it comes to communities. And the general questions are, ah, but you sound like a cult. <laughs> yes, yes, I want to also make a comment there. You know, and a question first. I want to say that a lot of the things you mentioned, that the four quadrants. Um, yeah. These are things that we are exploring, rediscovering, and remembering in our work with communities in the in the mainstream community, whatever you want to call it. Let's say here in Sydney, yeah. and and it's good to know that there are places where they are practiced holistically, and there is a lot of commitment in uh, embracing and making the way of life. And we know that these approaches are transformational. So my comment and question is probably the gateway to what you want to discuss anyway. Is mm -hmm. yeah, I want to for you to talk a bit about two things uh, in whichever order you want. A, what is the accessibility to these communities? If anyone can join for how long, what does it mean if they have a family or you know, if, if they are poor or if they are rich or what does it mean joining this community? And B, something that I'm very interesting, maybe because of my own purpose and you know, work, how, how can we create new eco-villages or new ecosystems like that in an urban society in places where they are not very popular or like common like unless it's a spiritual thing or unless it's a medicine work you know that they exist in different places mm -hmm. um, but these are not uh, inclusive for people who don't have the spirituality or they want they don't want to practice you know plant medicine so how do we yeah these two questions sorry i just threw two big questions to you but i'm sure you will yeah <laughs> will <laughs> smash them <laughs> They're very good questions and very interesting questions. And um, uh -huh. yeah, I, I don't think spirituality needs to be inclusive or exclusive um, mm -hmm. when it comes to community living. Like um, hmm, that that would go more into the direction of an ashram. You no, know? like we all follow the same practices and principles. Um, yeah. But what I've what I've seen in the eco village and community world is that religion and spirituality come together in a free sense. So it doesn't mm -hmm. matter. If I meditate and you do pujas or whatever. Um, it, I think it goes beyond that. It goes beyond our day-to-day -day cultural limitations, which is money, um, education, religion, spirituality, mm -hmm. and so on. Um, so it's basically just a collective of open-minded, open-hearted people. And yes, I can talk about how you how you can enter these eco-villages. Um, so definitely first step would be do your research online. See in your local region where you are around the world, what is possible. Maybe you even have such a project next to you and you don't know. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> <surprised>. <laughs> so you can go um, on the global ecovillagenetwork.com. Um, there's a map of international 
um, projects around the world or um, if depending on your region you can also look on the map of your region for Europe for example I know many of them are very mapped for South America and uh, Australia as well um, and I think also for um, the African continent and Oceania A Asia the part of Asia I'm not so sure about uh, Russia so if we have listeners in in Russia I'm sorry guys <laughs> So, <laughs> oh, I have a Russian friend. Maybe he can, uh, yeah, enlighten <laughs> me on that. But that's all right. <laughs> so go, <laughs> go online, do your research, um, check out what is happening around in your local region. Um, and how you enter is different communities have different entry points. Um, some of them have membership policies. Some of them have membership rituals. Um, but in my experience, most of them, hey, we're just normal people. There's everything very, very normal. Um, for sure, you would go through a trial period that the people get to know you, but also for yourself to get to know um, if this is how you want to live, if this is really your heart's calling, but also your mind's and body's decision. Um, so I think it's like in every relationship, we just get to know each other. You can come over for a weekend, an introduction weekend or a workshop. Most um, projects have that. You sit at the table, get to know people and see how you feel. Um, it's also important for the people that come in to make this decision uh, with a clear head because many people yes. are very ent they're enthusiastic. Not like, yes, I found something and I really want to do this and this is everything that I wanted and in Scott Peck we call that romantic pseudo community <laughs> romantic what community pseudo community sorry ah, so yeah yeah of course I guess a lot of people probably looking for an escape you know they are burnt out or disappointed or bent by the system and Definitely. you know but that's not you know that's not what it is it's not an escape it's not an utopia where you don't have to worry about anything anymore right maybe the opposite mm -hmm. <laughs> completely not at all not at all it's like an island of sanity and incubator you dedicate your life to and it, i mean it's definitely for the and i don't know in my life it just brought so much joy and happiness um that i i can't go i i don't want to and yes, many people come also to eco-villages on the, let's say, shadow or dark side um, to find therapy. They're so, yeah, um, yeah disappointed, burned out. Um, they didn't find their place of belonging uh, in the social group that they were or in their travels. And they saw that, um, yeah, communities are an open space. Um, and, and some people come to search for therapy and at least in my community, that's very clear. That's not the case. So we are not a um, hospital or a therapeutic center to help people with their issues, um, but more, yeah, a, a hands-on um, collective that wants to make change in the way yeah, that it can. And I think, Theodora, it's good that you, sorry, it's good that you talk about these things because I feel like we need to draw a distinction between different types of transitional alternative communities right yes. there are some communities you know uh, in new south wales where people for example they are known for people going there and doing a lot of drugs or like you know 
drinking a lot on partying. And um, there is some level of, you know, um, you know, hippie attitude in terms of looking for more spirituality and more like connected to nature life. But it's not the same for all the eco villages, right? It's not uh, yes, this no, party not at crazy all. life. It's the opposite. As you said, it's a deep communion as from what you're describing. I haven't been to one, even though I, you know, I embrace a lot of the approaches and ways of living myself and in my work, even operating in a, you know, westernized mainstream society. I feel yeah. like it's it's not uh, it's not that right. It's not like a, a place where people do drugs freely and you know um, all the other things that people associate this community with. No, no, not at all, not at all. From my experience, I mean, yes, okay, some people drink a glass of wine sometimes, but no, not at all. It's not no, it's not a party focused driven thing. You actually need so much um, presence and clarity and to be sober. Um, when you take the decisions that you take and for people that are searching for an escape, I would already say, hey guys, no, do your research before. <laughs> yes, no. yes. Because there are places, I mean, for people who are looking for an escape and, you know, healing or whatever you want to call it, therapy, there are places to do that. So I think it's, it's for good sure. for people to know that there are different options and different things in the society and in the, you know, in the periphery or in the outskirts of the society. Maybe in the future I will join in Covillage, but uh, it's not my reality at the moment. I'm very interested how we can bridge that gap, you know, between these alternative transitional communities and the, the state we are in at the moment, you know, in urban life. Yeah. So I think um, the transition town works very well. Network has looked at models of how to implement resilience and community building in an urban environment. So <clears throat> maybe we make a garden together, or we just meet and talk about topics that interest us, or maybe we have cooperative or a collective together. Um, I've been in around many cities in Germany and in the UK where the transition town movement has created, well, the people in that area have created a transition town house. And usually that house is a free space for people to come and give workshops and talks. Um, there's That's a space for uh, sharing goods and services. For example, uh, shoe repair, computer repair, um, appliances repair. So having a repair cafe to repair our things instead of buying new ones to give things and then take things in exchange like clothes or furniture or different other objects that normally we would need to buy um, and food cooperatives like people come together and share food basically that they've that they've grown um, also seed saving events happen in these houses so it really depends on the creativity uh, of people but there is a book the transition town manual where um, it explains methods and best practices on how to build community on in an urban setting. Mm. Um, and Transition you, Town, you said, the book? Yes, Transition Town. Yeah. That's great. I love a good book about that. I think like we need more of these manuals, you know, and and yes. uh, people who have walked like this, this journey, you know, and they have, yeah, they can provide a bit more of a guidance because I'm just sort of interrupting you here. Like in Sydney, you know, we... We have the best of everything and the worst of everything. So there is a lot of bits and pieces of the things you mentioned, like 
community mm-hmm. gardens, um, localization move- movements, local markets, but they are not connected with each other or necessarily communicating or creating a bigger movement. That's what mm-hmm. I know. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. So I feel like it can help establish something that's, uh, that can be like a prototype for a transitional town, as you say, or a framework or have conversations around that. Let's, let's see the best practices and the most innovative things in different communities that people are doing, you know, because I don't think these things are like concentrated, you know, I don't think there is a, people can access them easily. Yeah, definitely. And it definitely needs a group of people to be pioneers and the sparks in this to try to build the bridge and connect everybody together. So for whoever is listening, if you're a natural networker or you love to connect people, just start, go and do that. And um, I can say from experience and also what I've seen in other transition town networks is that when you start getting a group of people together that are committed and dedicated for this, depending on your uh, governmental structure, um, Mm -hmm. you can also start if you want to implement change and bring it on on a policy level. So this is literally a bottom up um, and the same is for Gen, for, for the Global Eco Village Network, and eco villages are literally bottom up. There is no hierarchical structure that decides for these settlements how to run. It's just themselves. They, they are self organized, co created, bottom up, grassroots movements um, that started from people, by people, and for people um, in their local areas. Participatory okay. democracy, we also call it, you know. Yes, exactly. Very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I want to say here, sorry, Theodora, that's a quick, like, you know, interjection again. Um, like, I feel like in, in, in uh, you know, in Sydney, we do a lot of reactive work, you know, and of course, there are lots of, you know, the bushfires, the pandemic, um, a lot of people are falling through the cracks, you know, young people disengaged. Mm. So there is this negative narrative that it's a reality because we made it a reality. And there is a lot of, you know, crisis work, but there is not enough proactive work and places where people can find alternative ways of doing well in life, you know, and, mm-hmm. and being part of a community and find belonging and innovating and taking action for the climate change. Besides different movements and initiatives and projects that a few of us, you know, change enablers are like uh, championing, you know, and it's a challenge to find the grants, to find the people and to keep the momentum going. So I think like, when I'm thinking of the reality of a lot of suburbs, you know, and LGAs in Sydney, how useful will it be to have this type of transitional town or even a project or even a, an eco-village, like a prototype or a pilot, but in such a place where young people or any anyone can join for a different type of experience, you know, and um, journey. So, so they can embark on the hero's journey because I feel like the other narratives are very dominant otherwise and they can overwhelm people, right? Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm just like interjecting a bit of the reality here. I mean, the reality I know and I see and uh, that we are trying to actively influence, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a question, what is reality? So mm. about which reality are we speaking about? And is it the mainstream narrative that is being fed to us with these methods and practices or just life? can be implemented um, in an urban setting or in places of poverty completely, 100%. Um, 
um, and it comes with challenges and responsibility. And I think in this situation, it would come with much more structure. Um, for example, Jen um, has created a like a circle inside their department um, called Refugen, and um, yeah, th there was this situation in Lesbos where community representatives have gone to the camp um, to bring all of this energy and tools and hope to the people there, and of course. Everything takes longer than you plan, and uh, the plan is not the same as the on-ground. Um, but I can say that it, it was very successful. Um, and Tamera um, is um, designing camps for refugees in a more human way, um, with gardens and water management systems and canteens and so on and so on, and trying to create uh, models, like sustainable models, for what to do now with I, I don't like to say refugee crisis, but the refugee situation. Um, and, and I feel like, um, sorry, I feel like when you talk about the when you talk about the models and systems, you know, and structure, I feel like this is so important because where things fall into cracks here is when people who are passionate change makers, you know, they have this alternative thinking, and then mm -hmm. they are faced with the everyday real reality of having a job, paying the bills, surviving on the dole. I feel like this is when, because of the lack of structures, this is where people get dismotivated. And the truth is, um, we need to find like social entrepreneurial ways to, and it's not about money, you know, it's about like, you know, assets and community and people, but also money comes into place. And the more we can create structures and, uh, you know, information and inspiration, there are, in Australia, there are so many grants, there are so many tenders, there are so many opportunities to make that sustainable. So, sure. so then it's more real for people, and that's where I navigate. You know, I don't live on air; I'm not so enlightened yet. <laughs> so I need, like, you know, resources, networks, and but there is a different way of doing it. That's what I think the point here. So, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in you talking us to uh, talking to us a bit more about what are the different. We are mentioning some examples from your international community development, so you can keep talking about that or other tips about bringing more structure, you know, or the steps to create a transitional community. Right. I mean, I think I've mentioned, and um, just to say, be the change you want to be in the world. I know this sounds kitschy, mm -hmm. um, but literally embody and be the change you want to be in the world. You want to see something changing? Start. Research, gather your community, make a network, get people together, and start something, do a workshop, go to a talk, find a conference, listen to this podcast, whatever you're doing is, even though you have a nine to five job, or even though you think you're still part of the system, do the little steps. So the little, little steps consistently and one by one to also create the life that you want to create. So for me, this is not an idealistic of this is how it should be and this is what is going to save us. It's more the question, is this right for you? Mm. And when when you realize, hey, this is how I want to live and this is right for me, then it's also going to be right for your collective and the wider movement. And now on a, on a practical level, there's so many resources out there, uh, fundings as well. I mean, now with the green agenda for from COP21, um, mm -hmm. 
yeah, there are a lot of initiatives and networks, NGOs that are working in this direction. So I don't feel it's so airy fairy. Mm. Um, it's actually very grounded. And um, also there's an advocacy and outreach group from Jen that is uh, taking eco-village wisdom to a UN making standard. Mm. 